I'm sending you a dear friend, Titus. He's a beloved brother and trustworthy minister in our Lord Jesus. He will share with you all the concerns that I have for your welfare and will inform you of how I'm getting along. Also, he will, and he will also prophesy over you to encourage your heart. So may God shower his peace unto you, uh, my beloved friends, and may the blessings of faith and love fill your hearts from God the Father, our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Abundant grace be with you all. Uh, all as each of you love our Lord Jesus Christ without corruption. Now, that that last verse gets passed over a lot. And people just read it like I just did, just finishing the chapter out. But again, it's a principle. Abundant grace be with you all. Now, if you just left it off there, we could all expect uninterrupted, abundant grace all the time. However, that's not the way he said it. Abundant grace be with you all as each of you love our Lord Jesus Christ without corruption. So if you want abundant grace, then you're going to have to love the Lord and not allow that relationship to be corrupted. But if you allow your relationship with God to be corrupted, don't be mad when you look up and abundant grace has left the building. <clears throat> we are <clears throat> blessed, I think. It's possible to say without any hesitation. We are blessed to be a part of the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and none of us in this room earned the love of God on day one. And none of us have earned the love of God since day one. And from this day forward, none of us will ever earn the love of God. Now, there are some people that don't like that because uh, they feel like they're earners and, and we just got to earn and I, I can't have it if I hadn't earned it. The problem with that is if you see this thing as earning the love of God, then it becomes about performance. And the first time you're not performing at your peak uh, then all of a sudden you, you start changing your thoughts about the kingdom. You start changing your expectations about all of this. And it is possible that if I believe that my performance has not been good enough, then God's not going to love me. And all of a sudden there's a self-destructive spiral that will begin to take place. And then we just throw in the towel and we just give up on everything. <clears throat> but because of Calvary, we were given the opportunity to benefit from the work he did, the finished work of Calvary. We have the right to benefit from that. Pastor preached about that this morning, and so powerfully it was taught to us, <clears throat> the finished work that one, one did at Calvary. Um, Adam's sin brought death into the world, but the work of Christ at Calvary brought redemption into the world. So we're all here because of the redeeming love and power of God that was given to the church at Calvary. <clears throat> and I know that if I said, we, if I ask, do we believe as apostolics in once saved, always saved, everybody in this room would say no. And if I said, how many of you in this room are saved tonight, I think probably most of us would raise our hands. But we would be wrong. None of us are saved. This is not heaven. Now, the correct question would be, have we been given salvation? And we can all raise our hand and say, yes, I have been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I have been given salvation. But just because I received the Holy Ghost and just because I was baptized in Jesus' name, that does not mean that I've got a pass-go Collect $200, you're, you're good to go, and you don't ever have to worry about it. I can be lost tonight. I can jeopardize my eternity on tonight. I can walk right out of this pulpit, walk through those glass doors, get in my truck, and go do something completely ridiculous and jeopardize my eternity. I can, I can begin to preach false doctrine, and I'm going to be lost. I can walk away from... Uh, separation from the world, and I'll be lost over it. And I know that's not something we like to hear in the apostolic church all that much anymore. But holiness is not optional. Holiness is not an option. 
And it's not determined by what we think should or should not be required. There are definitive laws in the book that we call a Bible about what he decided separation was going to be, look like, sound like, act like. We don't have a right to put our own definition on that and live the way we want to and say, well, that's my opinion. I think it's okay. I don't see anything wrong with this. Well, I got news for everybody in this room. God don't care about your opinions. He don't care about my opinion. God's never called me into heaven's boardroom and asked me questions about his word and wanted to know that I think it was too harsh. The word was given. We have to receive it, and we have to live by it. And I noticed something the other day, and I think I, I think I talked about this last Tuesday night online with Brother Bourne. But when you look at the scriptures that we use for communion service, there's, there's something I'd never really noticed until recently. He makes a statement in, I think it was Matthew, but he said, take this, this, this is my body, take it, and this is my blood, drink it. And then he makes a statement after that. He said, every time you do this, this is the Arkansas paraphrase, but every time you do this, it will be as powerful then as it is today on the very first time we do this. So whatever the benefit was to the body of Christ for participating in communion, the breaking of bread and taking that cracker into the body and the juice into the body, whatever the benefits were on day one, he made us a promise. This will never be ceremonial in my eyes. I will never look at you doing communion as just a religious tradition. He made us a promise, Brother Beecher. He said, every time you do this, I'm going to respond to your obedience every single time like I am on this very first day. So whatever the benefits of, of communion were on the first day, and they were significant, or he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have started it. He wouldn't have implemented communion. The principle is, just because something was done in Scripture once doesn't mean that was the only time it was ever going to have impacting effects in the lives of humanity. The law of Scripture is every single time you repeat one of these things God told us to do, it is going to produce the exact same supernatural response from heaven as it did the very first time it was done. So if he laid hands on the sick and told the disciples to lay hands on the sick and they were healed and those that they prayed for were recovered, then every single time you and I do that, we ought to be able to see the exact same results here in 2023 as they did in the book of Acts. <clears throat> I remember as a kid, it didn't matter, this is my memory now, y'all may have different memories of it, but... I don't remember going to different churches and having to worry about whether or not I was going to hear a different doctrine at every church I went to. I'm talking about sanctified churches. I don't remember having to be concerned about going in one church that was an apostolic church or another spirit-filled church and them preaching two different messages. But that's not the case today. Y'all come on, be brave. Don't, don't lock up on me. We've got churches preaching from every different perspective you can come up with about things that are definitive in the Scripture that do not leave room for opinion. <clears throat> and through the evolution of the church, I'll put it that way, we have, we have reached a place where we are willing to allow things to set in our churches that I remember as a kid we didn't put up with. We'll put up with rebellion in the house of God, which is witchcraft, because that's so-and-so's kid, and we don't want to offend so-and-so. We'll put up with rebellion in the house of God because they're a musician, or they're a this, or they're a minister, and we don't want them to get their feelings hurt and leave and go somewhere else. But the problem with all that is, and then the enemy has disguised all that, Brother Riley, and he said, this is how we reach people. No, it didn't. This is how you pollute and corrupt the house of God. The kingdom of heaven is invitational, not inclusive. Calvary issued an invitation to everybody that wants to be a part of it. Brother Uzel, to, to whomsoever will, the book says. 
But you don't get to come in and stay the way you are when you get here forever. And consider yourself part of the body of Christ. Or Brother Shelton, that's harsh. That's the scripture. That was that last verse in that chapter. And we've allowed things to come into our lives and into our churches, our ministries, that have corrupted what was once pure. Well, I'm not committing sin. By whose definition? I like to play golf, but if I spent more time playing golf than I did doing what I was called to the kingdom to do, that'd be a sin for me. I like to fish, but if I spent more time in a bass boat than I did the prayer room or doing evangelism, that'd be a sin for me. Maybe not any of you, but it would be for me. I like to hunt, but if I spend more time hunting than I do doing what God called me to do, that's become a sin and a weight to me. But we allow that stuff to carry on because we don't want to hurt your feelings. If I drink more coffee than what God would allow me to have, and you know I love coffee, but if that coffee ever becomes more important to me than doing the will of God, I'm going to have to put the cup down. Pray my strength in the Lord. <laughs> Anything that I allow in my life to become more important to me than my relationship with him, I have made that a sin. Whether it's a sin for you or not isn't even the point. If I've allowed it to become more important to me than he is, then it's become sinful to me every single time. And there's no two ways about it, and we can't talk about it and rationalize it and try to be logical about it. It's just that away. There are some things that we've allowed to slip in the church. Submission to authority. As though what's said from a pulpit is suggestive. If either one of these two men are preaching to us, about the only thing I need to be saying is yes, sir. If either one of these two are preaching to us, the only thing I need to be saying is yes, sir. Brother Hunter, you might want to turn me up in the house a little bit. I think they can't hear me. I'm all the way up. Blessed be to God. Go get some more speakers and put them around the joint. If one of these two men, either of these two men, or any of these other men of God, but especially our pastoral leadership, if they're preaching to us, it's not a suggestion. And some of you that have been around the kingdom long enough need to be amen to me a little bit because you remember the days that we submitted to what was told to us. Paul wasn't apologetic about who and what he was. Paul rolled up in the joint and told him, you follow me as I follow Christ. He didn't apologize to them about having that opinion either. He knew what he was. He knew whose anointing had made him so. Now, I'm going to tell you this. All of you ministers in here that call this your bishop and you're not communicating with him on a regular basis, he ain't your bishop. Don't call him your bishop if you're not talking to him on a regular basis and running stuff past him and asking him, where am I at? Check me, bishop. Where am I at? What's going on in my life? Well, Brother Shelton, I think I've got enough sense to hear from God for myself. Then you don't have a right to pastor people if you don't have the right to be pastored by somebody. There are things that make the apostolic church what it is. This is not a social club. It's not a boys' club. It's not a girls' club. It's not the why. It's the kingdom of God. And it only functions correctly when we are submitted to his word. The rule book, and, and don't, don't mistake me, but we've, we cannot ever make a manual somewhere more important than the word of God. We can't make any kind of legislative document more important than the written word of God. But we have gravitated away from obeying the literal written word of God just like it's written because quite honestly, and everybody in here would have to acknowledge it, it's not always comfortable to obey the word of God. Amen. 
It's not always easy for me to love my enemies. I don't feel happy every day. It's not always easy to do good for them that despitefully use you. That book was not designed to make us comfortable. It was designed to keep us repentant. Why are all these things necessary? Because of what we read tonight. We're not in a flesh and blood struggle. We're in a spiritual struggle. And the scripture was designed to keep the flesh where it needs to be so that we can overcome the enemy. But if my life is not in alignment with this book and I go out and face off with the devil, I'm about to get my teeth kicked in. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care how mighty and powerful we have been in battle heretofore, if I go out against the enemy and I'm not covered with spiritual authority and I'm not talking about I got my own authority, I'm talking about submitted to my pastor. There's a reason I was on the phone with Bishop Wright Friday morning and I'm a grown 54-year-old man. I can make my own decisions. But when I'm cold, I go get a blanket out of the closet. When I need covering, I know where it's at and I got to get up and go get that covering and say, hey, cover me right here. I, I need to know what's going on. Am I right? Am I wrong? Because if I had gone to Colorado, no matter whether I was, whatever about here, it really didn't matter. If I had gone to Colorado and I wasn't supposed to be there, I was about to have problems. What authority do I have against the enemy if I'm somewhere out of the will of God? Now, the Lord may cover me for the sake of my wife and kids to get me back to the house. But that'd be the only reason. The scripture talks about it in Isaiah. The scripture says, there remaineth no more sacrifice for willful sin. If I premeditate it and make my mind up, Calvary's not obligated to cover me. It's what that scripture means. If the man of God in my life says, this is what we're going to do, and I think it through, and I finally decide, you know what, I'm not going to do what you said. I don't believe I should have to. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. Well, that's fine. Brother Barnes had a guy come in his office one day on a Friday, and he said, Brother Barnes, my wife and I have been praying, and we realize we, are, we haven't been in church in 20 years, and we're, we're desperate, and we need God, and we want to get right with God, and we're coming back. We'll be here Sunday night. We've got tickets to some event in Dallas. I forgot what it was, but he said, we've got tickets bought, and if I don't go, I'm going to lose a bunch of money. So we're going to go to that event, and then we'll be home Sunday night, and we'll be in church. Brother Barnes looked at him and said, well, I'm going to tell you something right now. Don't go to Dallas. Oh, Brother Barnes, he said, I know you're thinking that if we go to Dallas, we just won't even come to church at all. But I'm telling you, we've made our minds up. We're coming back to church. We want to get right with God. Brother Barnes told him, he said, no, that's not why I'm telling you that. I'm telling you that because if you go to Dallas... You will be dead before you get back here. I'll be at the funeral home when the hearse backs up at sundown on Sunday when they unload your bodies out of that hearse. Do not leave this town. And that man looked at Brother Barnes, laughed, and said, Oh, Brother Barnes, you just pray for us. We'll be all right. If you'll pray, we'll be okay. On their way home, as they were crossing the state line at Louisiana and Texas, on I-20, a car crossed the interstate, went through the median, hit them head-on and killed both of them. And as the sun was dropping in the west, Brother Barnes was standing at the back door of that funeral home as they unloaded those two bodies. I remember when I was a child, there was, there was the fear of God was in the church. Do you hear me, what I'm telling you? And some of you elders remember it. There was a day the fear of God was in the building. You, you came in that building, and nobody was going to be playing and cutting up and messing around. It. Kids didn't mess around in church because the fear of God, and I'm talking about, you know, seven, eight, nine, 10-year-old kids. We wasn't playing and doing calisthenics in the pew because somebody's going to call your happy hips out in just a minute. But we can't do that now because if the man of God calls a kid out and says, you sit down and be quiet. Mom and daddy will get mad and quit paying tithes. As a matter of fact, we might even switch churches. And so that spirit of Jezebel has come into the body of Christ and told the pulpit, you keep your mouth shut. Don't you deal with this. You let the parents be the parents and you be the pastor. Well, what do we think pastors are supposed to do? 
you don't say anything to my kid. But when they're an adolescent and they're out there messing their life up, now I want you to get involved. It's too late now. I can't help them now. We just got to try to get them through it and recover what they've messed up. And I believe in redemption. But there were some things that we saw in the church when I was growing up that kept a certain level of purity in the body of Christ. And the pulpit wasn't hindered. Pulpits were allowed to preach whatever God gave them to preach. And people that I don't remember, maybe it was there. I, I'm, sure, I'm sure humanity's always been crazy, so I'm sure there was some nut job in the church that got mad and went home and destroyed the preacher. I get it. But I never saw it. My, my parents shielded us. We, we, nobody, you, you didn't hear anybody at my house running down the pastor. It wasn't going to happen. I believed, still believe that story about them she bears coming up out of the woods and eating somebody up. Well, that's fear mongering. No, it's not. It's the fear of God. It's a respect and an awe of God that allows supernatural ministry to take place in our presence. But if we don't have the fear of God, we cannot expect a manifestation of God. That's casting pearl before swine, and he's not going to do it. Over the years, I've watched us go from being bold to being timid. We're insecure about things. We don't know what we may get sued for saying now. And so we've allowed that threat and that intimidation, and that again is the spirit of Jezebel. <clears throat> Who in here has prayed about that spirit of Jezebel in the last seven days? Besides Brother Riley, I knew you were going to raise yours. Anybody thought about it? Who in this room has bound the spirit of fear in the last seven days besides Brother Riley? Who in here has taken authority and dominion over confusion in the last seven days? Who in here has come against, in prayer, a spirit of fatigue and weariness in the last seven days? Now, we're getting, we're getting into more comfortable areas, and more people are acknowledging it because it's stuff that those things are things that are tangible. And we can measure that, and it's like, my God, there's something. How many of you have been struggling mentally in the last two months? Mentally, you've just been struggling. Hold your hands up. Be proud of it. I, I have. I've had, you hear me, I have fought more mental battles in the last 60 days than I can even shake a stick at. You get a pain. There's a certain threshold, and I don't know what it is. I'd have to ask a medical professional, but... There seems to be a certain age threshold that you cross where your conversations change. And used to, it was like, what mountain are we going to climb? And now it's what vitamin are we all taking? <laughs> Do you take probiotics? No, man, that helped my guts. I'm telling you, you need some in probiotics. And then everybody goes down and gets a probiotic, and then you end up just in a knot because you got the wrong probiotic. And we meet down at McDonald's and discuss geriatric things again. And I've noticed that my conversations are changing. And somewhere, I don't know, it's around that 48 to 50 mark. When you get a pain in your body, you start analyzing it differently. When you was a kid, you just shook it off and kept running. Now you're starting to think, hold the phone a minute. I got less time in the windshield than I used to. I got to take care of this temple. Pass the gravy, thank you very much. And we live in this divided world. We're going to be health conscious while we eat mashed potatoes and gravy. And then go get multivitamins. And somebody says, well, get the gel capsules because if you get the coated vitamins, they pass through your system before they ever even break down because that gel coating won't. Well, don't, no, don't get them gel capsules because they erupt in your stomach and you need the time release. I don't know. I never had a muscle cramp until about five years ago. And now it's a daily thought. I think differently about how I get out of a chair. You look at chairs and it's like, nope, can't sit in that one. It's too low to the flow. If I sit in that chair, I'm going to catch a cramp in my leg trying to get up out of it. Unless there's an A-frame in here somewhere that's going to winch me up. You roll over in the bed, I wake up instantly when I start rolling over in the bed. I never did that as a younger person. 
But now I know how treacherous it can be. You can catch a cramp in your thigh that will put you off the bed or knock you right out of a bed into the floor. Can I get a witness? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then somebody going to be talking about, oh, you need to go get some black strap molasses. Well, I'm going to have to have a refrigerator in the bedroom because I definitely can't walk to the kitchen to get a spoonful of it. Oh, my precious. Mm. God forbid you need to go to the restroom in the middle of the night and catch a cramp. We have a problem. Things change. You have pain in your body you didn't have. And I'm telling you, there are times when I allow my life to get too busy and my relationship with God isn't where it ought to be. All of a sudden, those pains, instead of the Lord just helping me have peace with it now, I got cancer in this bone, I got cancer in that bone, I got a 1 in 10 million cancer over here. And for God's sake, stay off the Internet. Do not go to onlinedr.com and look up nothing. Call a DR. And let the brother look you in the face and tell you, would you sit down and be quiet? You're a hypochondriac. You need somebody that can and will talk back to you. Man, that stuff will hit me in my head. And in the hotel room, here he comes. I'm going to kill you. You're going to have a heart attack right up in this hotel room. You're going to straight up die. They're going to come in here in the morning, roll you up in that bed sheet and clear you out of here. It's a, it's, it's, it wasn't there years ago. I got to keep unforgiveness out of my life. I got to keep bitterness out of my life. I got to live a repentant life because I need that supernatural power of God to be a part of my life. I've got to be submitted to authority. If I get on an airplane and the enemy, and you know how it is, if you've flown any at all, them, all them airplanes sound different. And that I don't care how many flights I've been on, that the, when the landing gear goes up in the plane, it, you, your brain's thinking, my God, the whole belly of this plane just fell off. How in the wide world do they keep this hunk of metal up in the air anyway? And the, them engines, and when they get up to about 10,000 feet and the Wi-Fi sign comes on, I can't even focus on the Wi-Fi sign sometimes because it sounds like they're turning the engines off out here on the plane. They were wound up tighter than an eight-day clock down on the ground, and when you get up here, then it sounds like they just kind of back off the throttle. If somebody in that room up there, put your foot on the pedal and let's go. Brother Shelton, you fly a lot. Yeah, you'd think I was used to it. But I can tell when I've not lived like I need to be living. When I've allowed my life to get too busy and I'm not praying like I should be. All of a sudden, here comes a spirit of fear and it's got an open door to get through and begin to talk to my brain. And the problem is, if I'm not reaching for relationship, I'm going to reach for that mess. And when I've reached for it and took ownership of it, now it's got a clear path to wreak all the havoc it wants to in my life. <clears throat> we, we better never get comfortable living with unforgiveness in our hearts. Amen. Anybody in here ever been offended by somebody? Hold your hand up. I got mine up, but not as an example, as an obedience factor. I've, I've been offended. Have any of you ever had trouble forgiving them? Anybody having trouble right now forgiving somebody? Unforgiveness is oftentimes linked to a lot of physical things. Anger. I may be wrong and you can correct me if I am, but I, I read a, an article one time uh, in the American Medical Association print out there somewhere I was in an airport and there was one laying there and I read this article about the damage that anger does to the brain and the body that when you get angry it your brain starts uh, causing your your body to release certain chemicals and endorphins or whatever it all is and that an hour of anger to to replace the virtue that it took from your body for being angry for an hour it's it's like multiple hours the other direction to restore your, your health back to where it was before that anger came. We've got things in the church that we're sitting on the pews and we're praying for people with physical problems when the truth of it is sometimes, sometimes their physical issue is a result of unforgiveness. We've got people in our churches, they clap, 
They sing. They know all the verses, all the words. They've been baptized, received the Holy Ghost. They're, they're on the straight and narrow. They got it going on. But they're living with such significant depression that the whole time you're singing and they're singing and you're preaching and they're clapping, all they really can think about is, I don't want to live anymore. But we don't notice it because we're too busy having good church. I applaud you for letting the Lord this afternoon, this evening, minister to people just the way he wanted to. But if the kingdom is not our priority, we'll start trying to find convenient ways to do what we're supposed to be doing in the kingdom. I don't know your history as a church entirely. I've, I've heard Brother Williams talk about some of it and different ones. <clears throat> but 70 plus years of existence. And there's no question that a lot of price have been paid for there to be a church right here on this piece of property. A lot of commitment, a lot of dedication, a lot of battles that have been fought by generations that are over 50, 60 years old. But just because those battles were fought and won 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago doesn't mean that there are no more battles to be fought from this point forward. Now, I don't know how many of you have recognized it. Maybe all of you have. But if you leave here and go south, somewhere between um, Corning and Pocahontas, the spirit shifts. There's a change. Now, coming north, you're clipping along there. You get to Pocahontas. You go through Pocahontas. And somewhere north of Pocahontas, you cross that little river down there, something in the spirit changes. And there's a darkness and a heaviness that will follow you from here. And Brother Williams and I were talking about it before church, the, the, the reach of it, east, west, north, and south. And I know some of you are saying, Brother Shelton, I don't believe all of that. Well, then you just tune me out for a minute. If you go west far enough, you'll feel it when it shifts and it changes. You'll get out of this. There's, there's an oppression that's here. The last time I was here, I did sleep better. But I woke up 5 o'clock Sunday morning, text a friend of mine that I knew was up, and I said, I need you to pray for me because <laughs> right now all I really want to do is go get in my truck and leave this city. There's such an, it's the anxiety. From the very first time I drove in this city, there has been, well, Brother Shelton, I don't ever feel it. Well, we get acclimated to the environments that we live in. If you left here and went to another city, you'd, you'd feel what I'm talking about in that city, whatever that demonic prince of whatever would be. <clears throat> But here, it's like a hum of hornets in the spirit world all the time. And that oppressive darkness and that there's just an anxiety. Um, different men that I know that have come here and ministered have called me at all hours of the night from their hotel right here in this town. What is going on in the spirit of Poplar Bluff in this region? I just simply ask them, well, what are you feeling? And then we'll pray and they'll sleep. It includes what you're doing in your church. It's, it's got a pretty good reach. The seduction for all of what we do is the better we get at what we do, the less we need to acknowledge there's a spiritual component to all of this. If we're having, and, and I know I get, mis, I, I, I get misunderstood because people think that I'm just mad about everything and I, I just think everything's terrible. I think you're the most awesome people in the world. I love it here. But there is a spirit, there is a prevalent spirit in this region that has yet to be taken care of. Well, why is that necessary? Well, it's not if you're not wanting to have a harvest. If you're not wanting the church to grow and people to receive the Holy Ghost, then it's not necessary to deal with it. But the scripture says in order to spoil the strong man's house, which is biblical terminology for what we would call a harvest, for us to see people come into the kingdom, somebody is going to have to take on the responsibility that scripture gives us and the formula that scripture gives us 
if you want to spoil his house, you have to first bind him. <clears throat> now, it's not, a, it's not a hard deal to do. It doesn't take forever to do it. I have been a part of that on multiple occasions. And, and there have been times that we, we, we pursued it, and it took 13 weeks not to bind it, but waiting on God to say, today is the day. <clears throat> but if I don't spend time in the Word learning this stuff, then when somebody talks to me about it, they sound like they've lost their mind. If I've never read Scripture and found out what a spirit of Jezebel really is all about, then somebody comes into the church and talks about it, I, I will disregard that as soon as I get out the doors and go home and discount it completely because I don't understand it. It don't make sense to me. My God in heaven, what are they even talking about? Can we not just go and have good church? Yes, the answer to that is yes, we can. But there is a push in the spirit. Yesterday, I had multiple preachers, some pastors and some who travel full time, call me and ask me questions about this very topic. What's going on? I, there, there's this and there's that and there's, there's, there's little things like we don't want to talk about this stuff. But these little rubber bracelets everybody wears now, these what would Jesus do deals, WWJD, that's just jewelry. Did you know that all of that stuff is significant because of the colors? There are certain religious groups, demonic groups in the world that utilize colors as entryways for demonic spirits to have access to your life. <clears throat> we don't think about that. In India, when they put the dot in the middle of their forehead, an apostle from India told a friend of mine just recently, that dot is a certain color and it says to the spirit world, you have access through this portal to take control of my mind anytime you want to. I have a friend who's been going to the doctor who is from South Africa, and she finally told him the other day, there is nothing physically wrong with you. This is spiritual, and you are going to have to deal with this on a spiritual level. He said to me, the shocking thing to him was, she didn't know that he believed all that. He said, I've been going to her for a while, and I had not even communicated to her that I understood such things as that. But a doctor, his doctor told him. She said, this is spiritual. And she said, American doctors don't tell you that, but I'm telling you because I grew up in this kind of stuff. I grew up with witchcraft in my house. My parents were witches. My family were witches. We know what this is about. And you don't have a physical problem. You have a spiritual problem, and somewhere in your life there's a door that's open, and you're being attacked by a demonic spirit. Well, what do you mean by a door? Well, okay, back to unforgiveness. If somebody in my history has wronged me, and I don't forgive them, and the enemy lies to us about unforgiveness and says, I just can't forgive them, that's not true. We're hanging on to that, hoping someday we can make them pay for it. There's, it's absolutely incorrect to say, I can't forgive them. What is correct to say is, I have not chosen to forgive them yet and let God heal me. So as long as I keep that door of unforgiveness open, the enemy has access to my life, my health, to do anything he wants to, as long as it benefits him derailing me from doing what God's called me to do. Well, why do we go through tough times? To purify us so that our flesh is not in the way, so that our flesh is not in control, and so that the pure flow of anointing that comes from heaven can flow to through us and minister to somebody else. But we have people sitting in our churches that are bound up by all kind of stuff. And I know, and I'm not going to get into it tonight, maybe someday, but... <clears throat> We, we say, well, I've got the Holy Ghost and you're talking about demonic oppression. That can't happen. Show me that in Scripture. Show me in Scripture where a child of God full of the Holy Ghost cannot have demonic problems. If I ask for a show of hands right now of anybody in this room 
that is struggling with any kind of sin ongoing and you need deliverance from it. It would shock you if we were all honest how many people would stand up and say, I'm struggling with this, I've got this problem, I secretly do this, I secretly think that, I've been going there, I've been... It would shock us. But to keep from having to deal with those uncomfortable things, we just preach self-help stuff. We preach feel-good stuff. And we leave saying we've had good church. Nobody got delivered. How many of you know for a fact that the enemy has been attacking you in the last 60 days? Hold your hand up. <clears throat> do, you, do you want to continue that attack for another 60 days? What kind of church do you want to be a part of? One that says we're not putting up with it? If you need deliverance from this attack, come down here right now. God's going to deliver you. Do you want that kind of a situation in the kingdom? Or do you just want a blind eye turned to your situation and do the best you can with it and have somebody tell you, well, that's just life? No, it isn't. You're a child of God. You don't deal with just life. It all is spiritual. And if it's not spiritual in the origin, it has a spiritual impact on your life. But again, because we have allowed what we're doing here to become something other than what God intended it to be, we don't deal with that kind of thing. If somebody's struggling with perversion, we don't deal with it. Just struggle with it. Okay, that's fine, but they've got adolescent children in their home. And it's only a matter of time before that spirit... For instance, if somebody tells you a nasty joke this week as an adult, and you don't take a stand against it, and maybe just to keep from making waves in the office, you just kind of, and, and, and you turn around and walk off. But you don't address it. You've just told that spirit, I'm not going to oppose you. That spirit has a right to follow you home. And your 15-year-old that has never struggled with pornography, now all of a sudden begins to struggle with it because you didn't take an audible stand against that spirit of perversion when that nastiness was talked about in front of you. And it gets easier and easier to hear dirty jokes. And then it gets easy to start telling them. See how quiet it gets? You don't want to shout me down when I'm preaching good. Well, Brother Shelton, you know, that's just all our personal stuff. Yes, but when we bring all of that in here, and there are people that need to be delivered, but I can't get involved in that. I can't go pray for them. I can't, I can't, I can't help them at all because I am entertaining things that I... What, the Scripture says to be sober and be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil. Look around, he said, because you'll entertain angels unawares. Well, when he said angels, he didn't just say heavenly angels. Angels. Satan appears, the Scripture says, as an angel of light. And his ministers appear as ministers of righteousness. Know them that labor among you. Why do we think all of that stuff's in there? If the church was not going to have to deal with that kind of stuff, these instructions wouldn't be a part of the biblical handbook that he left us. Try the Spirit, see if it be of God. When was the last time we cast the devil out of somebody? When was the last time somebody with a devil came in here and realized they had a need to be delivered? These are things that used to be, they're not new. Some of you that have been around for a while, you remember. I'm, t I'm telling you, I know I sometimes make it kind of humorous, but I remember as a kid, Brother Walker, we came to church with an expectation of a few things. Number one, the fear of God was going to be there. Number two... Uh, somebody was going to get something cast out of them. There were people got delivered, didn't even know they needed it. Heaven was going to be preached about. Hell was going to be preached about. And the new birth experience was going to be talked about. Every single time we came to church. And on a fairly regular basis, they were going to talk about separation from the world and separation from sin. And holiness is not just physical attributes. Holiness is also our mouth, our attitude, you can have sleeves as long as mine are right now, 
and have rottenness on the inside and you're as unholy as somebody that's completely undressed. These are things that we don't talk about a lot in the church anymore. Well, they're antiquated. That's old. That's, we, need, we need new. No, there is no new and better if we don't get the foundation of who and what we are right. If this was about performance, and if this was about us earning what God wants us to have, we need to shut the doors on this thing, sell the property, and go raise grapes in the mountains. Because we will never earn what God has for us. But we do need to learn how to receive what God has for us. But do you know what keeps us from receiving? I, I've got to tell you, I, I think I made this statement this in the last week or two to somebody. I think one of the most difficult things in the world for us apostolics to learn how to do is to receive the love of God. Because there is such a spirit of condemnation that has made its way into the body of Christ all over the world that all it wants to do, and Pastor talked about this morning, all that spirit wants to do is continually remind you of the mess up and the mess up and the mess up and the mess up. You're no good, you're no good, you're nobody if it wasn't. And we live under that oppressive spirit of condemnation. And then when the Father comes by, and looks for us and wants to fellowship with us, he's got to start calling our name and hunting us down to find us because we don't feel worthy to be in his presence. And we say things like that, we're not worthy, I don't deserve the goodness of God. Well, I take umbrage with that. We, we may not have earned it, but my children, my three kids, they're not perfect. Malachi will be six in March, the girls are 12. They're not perfect. They cop an attitude, my can you believe a 12-year-old girl would get an attitude? What in the wide world? I asked a little pediatrician when they were, Eliana was six months old. I said, at what point does that, and y'all women don't, now don't be sending me no trashy mail talking about how mean I am. Y'all know it's the truth. I said, now I've been hearing about the, this hormone situation with these little girls. At what point does that start? I want to, the brother needs to be prepared. The doctor looked at me and grinned. He said, I got bad news for you. That started when she took her first breath. <laughs> oh, God. And, man, one minute, they're fine. And then all of a sudden, whoo, they're not. Well, I'm a man. I'm trying to figure out this deal and problem solve. And my wife was like, just be quiet. Just hold them. The devil is a lie. They, they, they're mad right now. What in the wide world? You think I want to hold somebody? They want to rip my face off. No, they're just emotional. Well, so am I. Who's going to hold me? Mm. Things change. And so there's days that Malachi, I've got a picture I show in Williams and Williams. Um, Williams, Williams, and Williams. Uh, I was showing them a picture of Malachi standing in the kitchen in his underwear with a milk jug turned up, draining it. I was so proud. <laughs> I was so proud of my son. That's my boy. My wife was mortified. I said, shh, this is part of his manhood training right here. Leave him alone. He's going to get a man card for this. There's days that the other day he come through and he said, Dad, what son? Nobody likes me. I said, I love you, son. No, Dad, you don't. Why in the world are you saying that? You won't play with me. Son, I just walked in the door. Yeah, but I mean, you've been home long enough to take your keys out of your pocket. You walked right past me playing. You didn't, you didn't get in the floor and play with me. And, and, and none of y'all deal with this at your house, but I mean, 
I don't know what age. Somebody needs to come talk to me after church and tell me what age children actually learn to start flushing toilets. <laughs> I thought it would have already started, but apparently I was a little early on that expectation. They, they don't always do everything they're supposed to do. Laundry? Y'all come in here and get all your laundry. Go through that pile right there and get y'all stuff that just came out of the wash dryer. They disappear. Got it all, Dad. Got it, Dad. Dad, I got it. Well, that's a mystery. Because half that pile's still in there. So after the third trip of everybody getting their junk, somehow or another I ended up upstairs. Fabric sticking out from under one of them's bed. I'm not going to tell you which one of them. But I said, Erica, what is that? Thirty-four pieces of clothes <laughs> under the bed. What in the wide world? She's been down there talking for two days about, I, I don't have any black skirts. You got 12 under the bed. My point with all that is, I, I don't know. I, that don't just happen on Monday. That's like Monday to Monday. I don't know if and when that ever changes. And they don't, they don't always do the few expectations we have of them. Therefore, very few days of their life have they fully and completely earned the next meal. They definitely didn't earn the Christmas they just got. I'm going to tell you that right this minute in the house of God. But did they deserve it? Yeah. Because they got my last name, and they're my babies, and I'll, I will bestow love on them every day of their life, whether they're perfect or not. You are his children, and he has decided if you can love your children that well as a father in the natural realm, how much more do you think I, as your heavenly father, intend to love you? But we leave the house of God over and over and over so many times without having been blessed the way he wanted to bless us because of the simple fact we hadn't earned it. I haven't been good enough today. Well, it's not predicated on that. We've got to learn how to receive the love of the Father. <clears throat> now, I'm going to wind this thing down here, land the plane. The history of this church is solid it's, I mean, you can look around and see where you are right now doctrinally. So apparently there's been a tremendous effort put into doctrinal preservation. And we're still preaching the new birth. We still believe in separation from the, law, from the world. Uh, we still believe in the delivering power of God. Uh, we believe in faithfulness and consistency. Probably ought to tighten up on that a little bit. I think the entirety of the body of Christ around the world, we, we probably let some... Some things slip in that regard, but so when you look at Bluff City Church, you, you've got a tremendous heritage, but you cannot finish this race on your heritage. Paul said, having begun in the spirit, what makes you think you can finish this deal in the flesh? The church as a whole around the world has our roots are in the spirit. We started in the spirit. The upper room was a spiritual endeavor. It was absolutely our very beginning, and it was spiritual. When you're born again, that very first moment of being filled with the Holy Ghost is an absolutely spiritual situation. But our, our tendency is to take a spiritual beginning and dumb it down to something fleshly. And we start trying to live for God from fleshly perspectives rather than biblical principles. And when we do, we end up with churches that are filled with people who are hurting, bound, broken, need to be ministered to, need healing, need to be delivered. But because they look right, they sound right, they know the song, they know when to clap, when not to clap, and even talk in tongues. They've got all that going on. And since they do, then we don't dare let God tell us 
to go pray for somebody. We're looking for somebody that don't look like us. And if we don't have them in here, then we're not going to go pray for anybody else. But there are people that have been in the church for 20 years that are just as hurt as somebody that's never been in the church and need ministry. But we've become self-centered for a litany of reasons. The last three years did a number on the church around the world. It really did. And so we became all about self-preservation. The scripture says if you love your life, you'll lose it. The safest place to be in the kingdom right now is giving yourself to the kingdom and what your particular purpose and our corporate purpose in the kingdom would be. If I want my health to be where it needs to be, I'm going to tell you, obedience to God is not completely age-defying. Uh, we do age, and we grow older, and we have to start wearing glasses where we didn't before, and this knee joint and that ankle joint and an elbow and a shoulder, things wear out. Uh, it's not always about age either. Sometimes it's about mileage. <clears throat> but if we don't learn how to live by biblical principles, we are never going to fully achieve our purpose and God's mandate for us in the kingdom. And if I want good health, and if I want blessings from God at my home, in my family, if I want my children to be blessed, then I've got to find my way back into the harness and do what God called me to do. Seven days a week, no days off. And I'm going to tell you something else. This pity party mess that we Pentecostals have gotten to where we like to have has got to die. All this woe is me, woe is me, my life is horrible. That's why I had to get off Facebook for a long time there. I just got off of it because it seemed like the happiest people in the world were the people that didn't know Jesus. And the ones that were the most miserable were the ones that had had an encounter with God but didn't realize what they had. And it wore me out. I couldn't take it. Your purpose has not yet been completely fulfilled. And there has been a paradigm shift in this body. And there are a lot of young adults in this church from 45 and down that were some of you that are now in your early 20s. I remember when I came here, you were kids. Now some of you have kids. And things have changed. And seasons have changed for you as a church body. And I've told you this on multiple occasions and in multiple ways. And the Lord told me to come say it one more time. God has not finished with this church, everything that he intended to do with this church. But there is, a, <clears throat> there is a spirit of timidity that hangs over this body. You singers, you sing, and you're sweet, and you're wonderful, and you got good voices, but you're timid. When you play them drums, for the love of God, beat the soup out of them. I mean, they got you in a cage anyway. You might as well just beat the fire out of them. Play them like you just came through the Red Sea. I promise you right now there wasn't none of them folks that come across that Red Sea deal, tappity-tap-tap on some little tap. They beat the hide off of them. And some of us have been in the kingdom so long, we have forgotten the importance of worship. There's some things that some of us need to go back through our lives and our houses and clean some stuff out of there. Because we've allowed this in and that in and this in and that in. And it's become a doorway for the enemy to start distracting you and binding you. Some of us, did you know in Bangladesh when when they're working the altar in a church service, you know what one of their main items they have for altar work is? A pair of scissors. And in Bangladesh and in some parts of India, they when they go to, my friend was over there just recently, when, they, when they're praying for people, the ladies will walk up and they'll, he watched a bunch of them do it. They'll take their arm and run it up a woman's arm under her sleeve, feeling. And all of a sudden, he said, you'll see them stop, and they take their other hand and go up in there with them scissors, and they cut these strings that are tied on their arms off. And he said the funny thing was, <clears throat> you'd watch somebody in the altar trying to receive the Holy Ghost, some men doing it too. They're, they're down there, they're wanting the Holy Ghost, and just cannot break through to get it. But the minute they cut that string off, that spiritual bondage breaks and they begin to speak in tongues. Over there, it's done. It's part of the witchcraft that goes on. And I know we don't all believe that, but it's there. You think that some simple little bracelet's no big deal. That's what the enemy wants to tell the church. That's no big deal. Yes, it is. 
Did you know that producers of gold jewelry will hire witches to come and bless all that gold and put spirits on it? Because demonic spirits love porous material like gold, and they live in it. I have seen people come from overseas with fertility dolls. Put them in someone's home, and for the next five years, they can't have children. And then somebody walks through, sees that, and says, that's demonic. Throw it out. Let's burn it. They burn it, and, and just two or three months later, that family's expecting children. But Shelton, that stuff don't happen. I beg your pardon. I've been around. I've cast too many devils out of too many people. You're not talking me out of it. I know what I've seen with my own eyes. <clears throat> and it's time for the church to get back to that place of our book of Acts identity because the world we're reaching for has got problems just like us. But if we're not going to deal with ours, how in the world are we going to be able to deal with the problems they're going through? There are a lot of things that the enemy has snuck in on us and tried to make us believe it's no big deal. But because we don't want to do research, we don't want to look into it, and I'm not, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I got the mic. I mean, y'all can turn me off, whatever. Halloween's not harmless. Halloween's not harmless. If anything, it de the, the most minimum thing it is is something that desensitizes the apostolic church. I think every apostolic church ought to have the most red-hot, powerful prayer meeting you've ever had every Halloween night. That's just me. Well, why, Brother Shelton? Because we're not the only spiritual force out there. We don't want to believe it. But there is a whole nother side to this spiritual thing. And it ain't all good. I've had witches come in. I've had warlocks come in and stand at the back of the building chanting with Anton LaVey's satanic Bible, putting a spell on me to make me have a heart attack. And nobody knew what was going on. But when they picked up on something in the spirit, they began to pray. And God pushed that man down on the floor, and I watched the Lord slide him under a church pew. Nobody touched him. The Lord slid that man's body four feet over and put him under a church pew and held him there while I preached about the word, the blood, and the name. And when it was over and God let him up, he jumped up with such intensity, he ripped a, a church pew that was bolted to the concrete he ripped it out of the floor, tore it up, and tore two sets of glass doors up trying to get out of there. There's a spiritual battle going on around us all the time. We have witches come into our churches and will sit back in the pew and act like they're there just to enjoy, but they are actually there sent by the enemy to put some sort of a spiritual oppressive deal on that body and whatever God was going to do that night in that church service, it didn't get done because somebody with a demonic spirit came in and began to pray against what God was trying to do and the church didn't respond the way it should have. There's intercessors in this building that when you walk in here and you feel it bound up and tight, you, if nothing else, get up and go in the hall and start praying and doing intercession and binding and, and releasing and doing whatever you got to do. Because it, on those most bound up nights and services, that's the moment when you know for a fact God had something special planned for this moment. The enemy wouldn't be doing what he's doing if it wasn't so. <clears throat> something like that happens. Church services, it's just like you sing 700 songs. How frustrated do you get leading service? It is, isn't it? It's like leading service and, and singing in front of a, 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 a concrete post. Not because people are bad and it's not a flesh and blood issue. It's a spiritual issue. Now, I'm not the bishop nor the pastor, but I'm going to tell you what I would do if I was you or you or whoever else leads service and you feel that spiritual opposition pushing, I'd stop everything, right? I, I, we, wouldn't, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't touch another... Piano key. We'd pray. For this kind cometh out only by prayer and fasting. We're trying to power our way past demonic opposition with 
praise and worship, and it has its place, but it's not designed to tear down strongholds. That's what intercession's for. For thou art my battle axe and weapon of war. We forgot those verses of Scripture. And what I'm telling you is where God's trying to get us to in these end times and our job in the church in the end time, we've, we've got to get beyond this complacent, lethargic, indifferent place that we've come to. And I'm not talking about anybody more than I'm talking about me, myself. I, I go in church after church after church. And after a while, it just, Brother Williams, sometimes it just becomes so routine that I, I hear the same songs sang in every church. Some churches sing them a little faster. Some sing them a little slower. But it's the same songs. Everybody's singing the same Hillsong songs everywhere. But there are times that I go in places and it's like, you know what, we're not doing anything. There's something here pushing back on what God's trying to do and we're not moving beyond this until we break past it. And it's like, oh, thank God. Somebody's still got a handle on this deal. We, we still realize we are in a spiritual war all the time. 